And we're back. Finally. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm going to start a new series called Go Make Stuff. Going to be talking about creativity and uh, some of the things that we can do to be more creative this year. And you may be thinking, well, I'm not a singer or an artist, but we can be creative in many, many different ways, the things that we put our hand to. And we should be creative because our Father is the Creator and we are made in His image. Let me give you a couple of quick updates of what's going on in our world before I get into it. Um, well, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned my grandson Kylo has, was born uh, last month. And so that was big, exciting news for us. And uh, we spent Christmas in Virginia Beach sleeping on air mattresses for four or five days in a living room with four dogs looking after my granddaughter while my daughter went through that. She had to stay in the hospital for a few days, but Kylo is healthy and whole, praise God. Psalm 112 says, a generation of the upright will be blessed. And I've clung to that scripture um, just about all my life, my adult life as a parent especially, and shown it to be true. Yes, we'll have tribulations, but uh, praise God, He gets us through them. Anyway, uh, also with Life on the Verge, we are pumped, man. We are getting uh, ready for our Chasing Grace tour. We'll be headed to Mississippi State Penitentiary, more commonly called Parchman or Parchman Farm. It's been around over 100 years, I guess. And it's down in the deep, deep south in the Mississippi Delta where blues music was born. And you might be someone who says, well, I'm not really a fan of blues music, but I bet you listen to some form of rock and roll. I bet you maybe even go to a church that has rock and roll worship. You know, the most modern worship these days is, is rock and roll based. And in the words of Muddy Waters, who came from the Mississippi Delta, the birthplace of the blues, uh, the blues had a baby and they named it rock and roll. And that's the truth. Rock and roll music came from the blues. Um, Elvis Presley took a hold of some blues songs and revamped them and got really famous with it and many others, you know, along those, those uh, during that time in the 50s. Uh, but really, yeah. So it's down in the Mississippi Delta, um, which is also a place where there's been a lot of racism through the years. There's a tremendous baggage there from days of slavery and sharecroppers and all that kind of things. Um, and really, the blues were born out of the field hollers and the chants and spiritual songs in the fields by the slaves and the sharecroppers. And so that prison, uh, not surprisingly, there is a lot of darkness there, and there has been for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, Jay-Z and a couple other celebrities got together and helped 150 inmates sue that prison for inhumane conditions and uh, lack of protection against violence. There's been a lot of violence in this prison. It's, it's, I have never been there, and we're excited to be invited along with about 10 other ministries that are going to be there from week to week. We won't all be there at the same time, but I think I've, I've mentioned, I've certainly mentioned in an email or a Facebook post or something, um, that the warden at Mississippi State, or actually the head of all Mississippi prisons, used to be the warden at Angola Prison in Louisiana, which was one of the darkest, most violent prisons in the nation. And over a 20-year period, this man who was the warden brought in ministries and transformed that place to where it became a role model for other, other prisons. There's eight churches on the grounds of that prison now, all kinds of work programs. It, it's a place of light. 
uh, now. And so the man who uh, that God used to do that is now the head of all Mississippi prisons, and he is the one that commissioned our friends Bobby and Nancy McGee of Christ Song Ministry to come live on the campus of the prison for, I think, four or five weeks and invite all of these other ministries to come in. He's, he's determined to see that place transformed uh, by the power of God. And so pray for us. We're still raising, we'll, be, we'll leave there and do, uh, I think, 23 more programs in Florida uh, for our spring t- tour. And we're about halfway to our 30,000 mark. We're excited because we, I've, I've got another guitar player, I've got a bass player, I've got a drummer, and potentially a sound person. Um, you wouldn't believe how much, you can imagine, hey, you, all you need when you go to church on Sunday is somebody with an acoustic guitar or a piano to lead you in worship, right? But aren't you blessed because there's all the instrumentation and arrangement and a sound person? We're trying to bring that level of what we do to those that don't deserve it. And make them ask, why would we do all this? Why would we bring this type of value to them? It's because Jesus values them. Listen, you may be somebody who reads the headlines and uh, gets a little jaded, like everybody's an axe murderer and they all deserve to go to prison. But you don't understand that there are sons and daughters who made stupid mistakes when they're 18 years old. They're only there for a few years, but they've got to live in that environment. And uh, let me tell you, if you really want to draw violence out of people, remove hope from the equation. You want to know why there's such violence uh, in the inner city and the projects is there is a lack of hope. There's an absence of hope. And so we are bringing seeds of hope, ultimately the seeds of the gospel to these dark places. And we know the power of God can transform people. But I heard someone say it's hard to have faith when you don't have hope. So that's our goal is to bring hope, and we believe that God's going to use it to bring transformation to Parchman Farm or Mississippi State Penitentiary and also these prisons we're doing in Florida. So if you can help us, www.lifeontheverge.com. Click the Donate button. We're trying to raise another $15,000 so we can do this right. Um, I think that's all the updates. Let me check my little list here. Uh, oh, we got those that have given, we want to thank you so much and let you know that your tax forms are on the way. We've already sent your receipts out for last year's giving via email, and uh, we've, we'll have the print version in the mail today or tomorrow. So um, be looking for those. Uh, maybe uh, lift up a prayer for Susan. She's got a couple of medical procedures this week, and we're believing God for uh, a great outcome there. And uh, then craziness of all craziness. Someone tried to break in my house while I was home. My wife and I were home on on New Year's Day. Uh, Ripped a screen open. And uh, not that that really pertains to anything in this podcast, except I'm still pretty ticked. Uh, I definitely, uh, we didn't have any cameras. We live in a very nice neighborhood, but anything can happen anywhere. Because you know something? Criminals are creative. I have often said if criminals would use the same creativity they use to commit crimes to do something productive, they could make a good living at it. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, word to the wise, don't wait until you've experienced a crime to do something to prevent the crime. So we put uh, cameras up and lights up and, hey, it all belongs to God anyway, but we're expected to do what we can do with wisdom. So on to the podcast. So I'm, I'm reading this book that I've, uh, I've read before, and I'm reading it again, kind of perusing through it. It's a very unique book, 
by an actor named Jonathan Jackson. Jonathan was a uh, he was a star on General Hospital, the soap opera. He's acted in several movies and other things. He also is a musician, uh, and he's an Orthodox Christian. Um, maybe you don't know much about the Orthodox Christians, but they're not as weird as you think. If you, I'll let you do your own study there. Uh, they believe Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins and rose again, and claim the really the only true apostolic line from uh, they call it apostolic succession from the original apostles to today. And you may or may not know that the Catholic Church actually was produced from the Orthodox Church. Um, but anyway, I'll get into the history lesson if I don't stop. Study it for yourself. Um, nevertheless, Jonathan is an Orthodox Christian. He's a believer. He's in the world, but not of the world. Now, you know, I grew up, I tell people, a spiritual schizophrenic, and in this legalistic environment of a school I went to, and really, even in the Pentecostal church I went to, you would often hear things like the scripture that says, you know, come out from among them, you know, that we're not supposed to be around. Don't touch not the unclean thing. Well, Paul clearly taught in 1 Corinthians that we are to be in the world, not of it, he said that we shouldn't associate with people that call themselves believers and they're swindlers or they're crooks, they're thieves, or they're sexually immoral. You know, we shouldn't, if they call themselves believers, he said not at all meaning those of this world. We'd have to leave the world to not associate with them. And that word associate in the Greek means to be intimate with, that we're going to have to be intertwined with this world to live in it. And so when I look at someone like Jonathan who is... You could judge from a distance. Sometimes people are perplexed, for example, when they buy one of our CDs and there's not a lot of blatant Christian songs out of there, on there. They are all coming from a Christian worldview, but they're aimed at a wider audience. I'm in the world. We're in the world. Um, we need to give our biblical perspective about things when we create. And so uh, Jonathan in his book, it's called The Mystery of Art. And it's a deep read, but a worthy read. At the beginning of the book, uh, he quotes Father Andrew of Athos, um, who wrote, Participation between the artist and his creator, materials, and audience is an essential part of what allows artists to reach out to others across time and culture, to participate in the lives of other people and cultures long after death. So art is judged as more or less successful by its ability to reach others. As Christians, we will be judged the same way. Do we use our faith to include, to welcome, and even to enjoy others? Every Christian must be part artist. We craft lives of meaning through faith, and this meaning reaching out to engage those who differ while never losing an appreciation for what sets us apart. Boy, that's that's deep to read right there. But there's some powerful things being said there. He's saying that art is a way that we reach across the aisle, basically. He's saying that that's how we continue to reach across the aisle, even after we die, is through the things that we create. Um, the ideas. Now, he uses the word art, and he says every Christian should be art. And I think I used this definition in uh, the series I did called The Risk of Art. Art is any creative endeavor that connects the created things in a new or different way in the service of others. 
That means create, every creative endeavor, whether it's music, writing, painting, but also business or sports or baking a cake, for crying out loud, anything that we take the created things and we put them together in a, in a new and unique expression for other people. To me, that is art. And so, as I, you know, gave thought to these things, you know, I, I look at the music that we've created. I've written a couple of books, and, you know, none of them are bestsellers or, or big hits or, or whatever, but they are a legacy that I get to leave behind. Now, I happen to be a writer and a, a musician, a songwriter, that kind of thing. Maybe your deal is working with wood. I've got a uh, my brother-in-law who's a 28-year retired Navy SEAL who's seen a lot of combat in Iraq. And uh, man, he's a rough character. He's now a longshoreman uh, in his 60s. and uh, But his he calls it his yin and yang. His hobby is pottery. <laughs> so, But you can imagine that um, something that you create out of wood, you build, whether it's an artistic piece or it's a building or um, something out of pottery, and you pass that on to the next generation, that's part of your legacy. And so it's important that we're creative. So I'm going to give you some commandments, uh, or I call the Ten Commandments of Creativity. And I just made these up. But I, it came from, you know, I thought, I mean, they're not, I guess they're not commandments, but you know what I mean. They're, they're kind of ten points, ten ideas, but I'll call them commandments for this. Um, but I have a friend that lived with me when I was 18 years old, Susan and I, and we were in wide open party sin, man. We were messed up. We weren't married, um, and we were tripping on acid and doing all that kind of stuff, and I worked with this guy at a grocery store, and he needed a place to stay, so he crashed on our couch for a few bucks, and then I came to Jesus while he was living with us, and it kind of blew his mind, I think, and I started, I, I, my brother-in-law was making stuff out of wood, and I thought, man, I, you know, I've always had this bent to want to make stuff, and so I bought a router and a drill, and and I made these plaques that were probably about a foot and a half at least, maybe two feet, each plaque that was cut out in the shape of like a tablet, the Ten Commandment tablets, and then I used a stencil, and I stenciled every letter of all Ten Commandments, five on each of those plaques, and I hand routed them um, with a you know with a router, of course. And uh, man, it was tedious. And then I stained them and I put gold hinges on them, and it was makeshift. Let me tell you, I am not a woodworker. I laugh. I have this thing on my uh, shelf to this day that's like a guitar. I was going to be a wood carver, I thought. So I bought some carving tools and I I went to work trying to do that kind of thing. And if you could see this thing, you would laugh, but I keep it as a keepsake because it just to remind myself not to spend any more money on wood carving. But so, but the Ten Commandments things, they came out okay. You know, you could tell it was a lot of labor put into it by the way it was routed. And uh, I made a few of those, and I sold them to a couple of people. I gave them to a couple of people, probably five or six at the most. And so now here we are. That was 1982, and now here we are in... 2023 actually it was 2022 last year. What is that? 40 years later. My friend, who I've stayed in touch with over the years, he now lives out in Oregon. Um, we're communicating. Uh, he's going to see my son play music, and he reminds me that he still has a copy of the Ten Commandments that I gave him. I don't even remember giving it to him. I don't remember where those things landed. I know my mom got one. I don't know where it went. But I thought, wow. 
my creativity and the Ten Commandments are still speaking to this man 40 years later. That, ex- that kind of stuff excites me. You know, um, recently Matt did a podcast, our son, you know, Rockstar. He was on Jimmy Kimmel, by the way. Some of you may have saw that. I'm no fan of Jimmy Kimmel, but I'm a fan of my son, so I watched. But that's a pretty big deal. That's a national uh, TV late-night show. And uh, what a crazy God story it is that landed him there and where and everything he's done. But I know there's a bigger picture than Matt being a rock star, and we, God's already showed us that. The influence that he has had and that we have had with his world has been pretty amazing. Well, he did a podcast recently. The podcast is called Yeah, But Still. Yeah, But Still. And it's found on, I guess, all the podcast platforms. And it's episode 478. And if anything, our son is authentic, so guard your ears. He's going to tell you the truth. And, uh, you know, yeah, you listen to it if you want. But they probed him pretty heavily on his upbringing and his musician parents. That would be Susan and I. And, you know, we had a band in the 1990s, early 90s, when Matt was a baby, called Holy Warfare. And it was kind of a... At least hard rock, maybe you'd say. Today it might even be considered pop rock. I don't know. But we were just writing. You know, I grew up listening to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Ozzy Osbourne. And so there may be some of that influence there. But anyway, we recorded an album. And it was the only, the most awesome thing about it is that my brother is a drummer on it. The guy that recorded it was not a a rock engineer, producer. He didn't really know exactly what he was doing. But it was in a studio, and it is what it is. So it didn't come out to my liking completely, but it is part of our legacy. So they probed. Now, he he had already asked me like a couple of weeks prior if I had any pictures or audio from those days. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And I I sent him a few songs and some graphics or, or some pictures of the band from back then. Now, Matt was a baby when all this was happening. We would put him in a car seat right in front of our rehearsals. So I think that's where he developed his his sense of rhythm uh, while we rehearse. And so in the podcast, they just wouldn't leave it alone. They kept talking about his parents and holy warfare. I love that, man. Holy warfare. That's awesome, you know. And and uh, at the end of the episode, they played our song, Who Will Follow the Lamb, in its entirety. And I'll put it at the, at the end of this podcast if you want to listen to it. But they put it at the end of their podcast and then they posted it to Instagram, and I just thought, we don't even play that genre of music anymore. I thought, how wild is that? Something that we created in 1992-93 is being broadcast to the world at large. Now, I, whoever listens, I I ended up with like 50 more Instagram followers after that because <laughs> so many people follow Matt and listen to it. Which I think is awesome because this song asks a, a very spiritual question: "Who will follow the Lamb?" So you can listen to it if you like at the end of the podcast. Uh, please don't laugh. Um, so creativity, getting back to it, it's important that we're creating our legacy in what we do, whether it's uh, the work of our hands or the work of our mind. We're to be creative as Christians, and we're to use that creativity to reach across the aisle, to engage in culture, to have influence in culture and to also leave a legacy of who we were and what we did while we were here. Most of what we have done will be forgotten, um, you know, other than our children and our family, but the things that even that we create, but some of it is going to seep 
through and have influence, I believe, as if we are intentional. So let me give you the what I call the Ten Commandments of Creativity. I'll certainly only get through a couple today, but we'll make it the series, okay? Um, the first one is, Thou shalt create art because you were created in the image of God. I mean, look at how creative God is. Look at creation. It's just mind-blowing. Um, and to think that we have that DNA, that God made us to be creators. Now, unfortunately, uh, most people, to be honest, use creativity for a selfish or even immoral purpose, to make money. for the Not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, if you watch my son on Kimmel or you're familiar with the song Cut Deep and you're not offended um, by the four-letter word that gets used over and over, you need to know that the background of that song was aimed at the very record industry that Matt is a part of. They, you know, I sat down with him, uh, we went out to a restaurant, and just he and I, and had a father-son chat, uh, I, probably back in the summer, and he was telling me, actually before it was released, so it may have been in the spring, he was telling me, um, that you know they were fighting him tooth and nail on letting him release what he wanted to release. They wanted him to produce profit-making and even immoral songs because he is a songwriter, he's an artist, he's kind of learned the craft. And so they were pushing him to create stuff that would tantalize and sell more music. And he was fighting it tooth and nail and he won the fight. And he got to produce the music and put out the album that he wanted to put out. And so when you listen to that song, listen to it through uh, that lens that it's actually aimed. And, you know, the the uh, the bridge says they won't fix you. They ain't with you. They won't muzzle the mouth that just bit you. It's kind of his little rage against that machine. And so, but we are to use creativity like that to express things from our Christian perspective um, not just to make money. We're to do it because it's in our DNA to bless other people. God created the heavens and the earth for our good, for our blessing. And when we create, we should create for the sake of serving uh, other people, which gets me into the second commandment. We'll make it a little further than I thought today. Thou shalt uh, make love for your neighbor your motive. That's the, the second greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Just this morning, I read uh, Proverbs 11, I think it's verse 17, that says, He who is kind, which can also be translated merciful, he who is kind benefits himself. Yes, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, yesterday I did the poster for this parchment thing. I'm a novice at Photoshop, and I put the pieces together. They asked me to do it. It it took a lot of time, probably at least a couple of hours, to do it right and send it to them and get some feedback uh, and correct the things that they wanted corrected and all that. Um, but it, it was completely, really for them. I mean, I'm on the we're on the poster too. But you know, they, they asked me to do it, and I did it. And sometimes I can be selfish with my time, but I felt like I'm supposed to do this. And I felt so blessed to get to, to you know, giving keeps greed in check, right? And so to give my time away was keeping me from being greedy with my time, to realize all time belongs to God. And so by doing that for them, I'm not boasting myself, by the way. I'm just telling you that 
you know, it gave me the feeling of just how blessed I was to be a part of this. Yes, more blessed to give than to receive. And so when we create things, we should always be thinking, how will this bless other people? How, how, and, and it doesn't have to be in, in these deep spiritual ways. You know, I, uh, Susan and I went out. This is how we ended up engaging uh, the, the, the bar band community, the blues community anyway, in the Richmond, Virginia area. There was a guy that went to our church, and he played in a couple of secular blues bands. And we decided that he also played on the worship team. About maybe a little older than me. So years ago, it must have been 2011 or 12 or something like that, we went out to a bar to see his band play. And so we were sitting there drinking our Coke Zero or Diet Coke and watching the band. And then he he comes out during the break and he says, hey, man, you need to come up and play a song with you with us. Well, let me assure you, I was scared to death. You know, it's very easy, not easy, but it's easier to get up in front of people that agree with your message. It's my firm belief that the reason that there's so much mediocre Christian music is because they start with the message first. Um, uh, The message is vital, don't get me wrong, but um, I I didn't really listen to rock and roll music when I was a teenager because I, I couldn't even understand half the lyrics, right? I did, it, what the song was about didn't really matter. Um, it was the music. It was the groove. It was the guitar playing for me um, that got me to listen. And that's the way the world listens to music. They, you know, does the does the beat catch them? You know, does the groove catch them? And so, I think you know that again. You know, it would be easier to get up in front of a group of people that are all believers. They're going to be merciful and kind to me. But to get up in front of a secular audience who have a myriad of belief systems and say, "Does can what I've produced as music make an impression on these people? So we were scared. I was scared to death. Susan's, she's never that way. I'm so full of pride. Like, I don't want to make a mistake. We'll get into that in a minute, too. But uh, I, I was just like in shock when he asked me to do that. I had not performed for a secular audience, I don't know, if ever, since I've been a Christian, uh, other than with a Christian ban on an evangelistic crusade, you know, but to get up in a bar with this scrutinizing crowd. And and so, you know, I, I thought, yeah, but, and I got up and, and did a song in their next set, a song called You Found Me There. I think it is on our Still Moving Targets album. We finally recorded it. And a song that, I wrote long before I even knew how life on the verge would pan out. If it, I, it, what, We didn't even have a ministry yet. I was still a pastor. And so I got up in front of the crowd, and, and Susan and I both did, and we did this song. And the band picked it up right away, fairly simple song. And darn near the whole place got up and started dancing. <laughs> I was like... What I mean, they were all sitting at their tables when we started, and I hadn't seen anybody dance since we got there. And then we got up and did our song, and they were on their feet dancing around. You know, it's blues music. Most of the crowd was older. It wasn't wild and crazy, but they were, you know, it looked like couples dancing with each other. And 
and I, you know, I, I look, I reflect on that, and I reflect also on a time when we played the KOA campground a few years ago, right after the lockdowns, and things were starting. Well, actually, it was in the middle of the pandemic. It was in 2020 in the summer when they were loosening things a little bit, and we got up and and did you know our music at KOA. They paid us some money. They give to our ministry. They partner with us. They helped us with our lodging there when we were doing ministry in Virginia Beach. And this trucker came up at the end. Of course, we can't preach, and we play some secular songs, songs that we agree with the message. And uh, this trucker came up with a stogie in his mouth and a tear in his eye, and he handed me a $50 bill, and he said, man, I've been on the road traveling hard, and this was just such a blessing. Thank you. I I was just like, I I reflect on that and think that's the mindset I always want to have when we get up and do music. It's not how perfect I perform. It's, look, I'm here to do my best, my level best, to be a blessing to other people. Even if all I can do is give them a reason to dance, no matter what they're facing. Give them a reason to feel refreshed, whether they're a believer or not. And so, yeah, make sure that our motives for creating... um, is to bless other people, to inspire joy for other people, to inspire people, period. That's one of the greatest gifts that we give sometimes. Even just the act of creating can inspire someone else to create. And that is one of the greatest gifts that we can give others is to inspire them. And so the next commandment is, thou shalt not be afraid to experiment. But I won't be able to expand on that right now. We'll do that in the next episode. Um, I hope that you kind of this year, you you go make stuff, man. You, and and hopefully some of the things that we'll talk about in this podcast will help you do that. So we'll end it here with a song by that chart-topping, hit-making group, Holy Warfare, from the early 90s. Uh, but seriously, it's amazing to think that something that we created, uh, we just took the created things and put them together in a new and unique way. And it got played for the world through this podcast because of the way that the Lord has positioned my son. It's just kind of mind-blowing. You never know, right? You never know. So we should just continually be creating stuff. And, you know, this song has got a pretty deep spiritual meaning. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you turn the podcast off right now, I certainly understand. Just don't tell me about it. I can't handle the rejection. (laughs) Bless you. Have a great week. seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done.
Just a reminder that Life on the Verge is a debt-free, fully donor-funded 501c3. All your gifts are tax-deductible, and we appreciate them. You can find out more at Life on the Verge, make your donation there, or you can find the address to mail your gift to. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate you so much. God bless.